Hello listeners and welcome to the Veterans Care Association and Timor Awakening podcast. The Timor Awakening program is an 11-day, immersive, holistic and peer-to-peer veterans program that has a singular vision, to promote the health and well-being of veterans and their families. We are currently running programs both domestically on the Gold Coast at St. George's Defence Holiday Suites, as well as internationally in Timor-Leste. We use the Timor Awakening programs as an opportunity to sit down with our participants, either one-on-one or in a group setting, and conduct podcast interviews to capture their stories and their lessons learned, providing insights we can all learn from as we as veterans and wounded healers move through our own journeys and help others do the same. We'll be covering a whole range of topics including defence transition, mental health, relationships, veteran suicide, peer mentoring, PTSD and post-traumatic growth. So whether you're out and about, listening to this at home or driving in your car, we do trust that you'll get a lot out of listening to our participants. Thank you and enjoy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are continuing the podcast from the VCA retreat at St. George's Holiday Suites. And uh, sitting down with me is a gentleman I have not met properly uh, or in depth before, uh, Mr. Ted Chitlam. Welcome to the podcast, sir. Thank you very much. <laughs> so um, I, I sort of got a brief introduction to yourself through Gary Stone at one of the sort of sessions earlier today. Um, usually in these programs, I've kind of been involved with uh, folks from day one and two, then go back and do my day job sort of through the week and come back. So I've had a chance to sort of get to know people. But uh, I guess uh, the people listening to this know as little as I do about yourself. So I'm kind of keen to know what was your, you're wearing an RAR association cap. So I'm assuming an infantry background. Tell us a little bit about your, your military history. Uh, my military history, I went to Duntroon as a young 16 year old in um, 1955, um, graduated uh, and went to Armoured Corps first and then transferred to infantry mm-hmm. and from infantry as a platoon commander served in Malaya during the Malayan emergency and uh, came back to Australia, became uh, to one RAR and uh, uh, progressed from there through the normal rank structure to become the adjutant. Then I was posted to the Royal Military College as an instructor as a company commander and then the instructor in infantry um, before then being uh, posted to the newly formed 9th Battalion Royal Australian Regiment mm-hmm. that was formed in Adelaide specifically to go to Vietnam mm-hmm. and uh, I was the company commander. We deployed to Vietnam in uh, late 1968 um, and we were there for a year and I was a major company commander, B Company 9 RAR. Um, for my service um, in Vietnam, I was um, a recipient of the Military Cross. I returned to Australia to attend the Staff College at Queenscliff. From there to the Jungle Training Centre on the Tactics Wing. And from there was posted to the United States Marine Corps Command and Staff College at Quantico in uh, Virginia. Wow. Uh, I was there for a year and a half. Came back to Australia to command the 8th, 9th Battalion. Um, and that was then in uh, 1975 and 76. And my final posting before I elected to resign was to Canberra in Army Development. So at the end of that military career, which spanned 22 years, mm. um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm. Would I do it again? Of course I would. Yeah. 
That is, that is quite a history. Yeah. Well, and, and it's not it's not common to have someone from that generation around, but also able bodied and sort of clear of mind. Like you, you sort of certainly getting around. Did you did you get involved with the volleyball before? No, no. Yeah. Um, I have I have some hip problems okay, at the okay. moment, so that's yep. restricting my mobility. Okay. Yep. yep. And, and what was your um, association with with Gary Stone amongst all that? So you. Well, um, I met Gary Stone uh, when I went to command the Eighth Ninth Battalion. Uh, Gary was a platoon commander in B Company Nine um, Eight Nine RR, and uh, then uh, I made him my uh, intelligence officer as mm. a captain. Got to know Gary very well um, because he was part of the battalion headquarters team mm-hmm. or the command team as such. Um, and uh, after I left, um, I kept uh, generally in touch with Gary and watched his progress um, through the military and then after the military um, through his chaplaincy. And he's been very close um, to the Royal Australian Regiment, mm. um, not only as a, a military commander but also as the chaplain for the Royal Australian Regiment. He's the honorary chaplain for the Real Royal Australian Regiment Association mm-hmm. and uh, he's been a, I'd say, a miracle for us. <laughs> um, and I say that on the basis that the sort of support he's given to the veterans mm-hmm. in all forms is absolutely magnificent. Yeah, it certainly has been. I just yeah. interviewed him a second ago and we were talking about how how much he has given over such a long period of time and he's now had a bit of a sabbatical to sort of take the best rest he's probably ever taken and it's really paid dividends. But he's, yeah, the service that guy's given is crazy. Indeed. <laughs> I'm kind of curious, you, you've you've been around from the early days and, you, and you're still involved with the veteran community now. That's, that's kind of uncommon. What we see is often people from the Malayan emergency, Vietnam era, um, have either sort of gone off on their own journey and, and sort of, potentially become disillusioned with the veteran space because of you know how frosty the reception back in Australia was um, or, or they've, they've indeed passed away um, but there's only sort of a handful that we come across anyway that have been around from that time and have still still with us and still involved quite intimately in the in the veteran community tell us a little bit about what services if any and, and what the climate was at the time for veterans returning to Australia from the Vietnam War no, well it was difficult Mm-hmm. Um, particularly for the national servicemen who um, were in for the two-year term and then left, uh, I think not with too much consideration, although I wasn't actively involved in that. Um, but what I was involved in was caring for our troops. You know, as a commander, you mm-hmm. take on board the responsibility of care mm-hmm. uh, for your men, and that doesn't only apply whilst they are serving with you, it applies, you know, in life. Mm-hmm. So when I left the army, um, I wasn't actively involved in any of the advocacy work that I'm now involved in, um, but I was headhunted into the um, Royal Automobile Club of Queensland. Uh, I was there for 25 years and 21 years as the general manager. So when I left that, um, I, well, the troops came to me and said, hey, we want you to, um, to join the association, and it's the uh, 9RAR association, so I did. And from there, um, someone asked me to be the, um, the Queensland representative for the Royal Australian Regiment Association. So um, being a so-called retiree at that stage, um, I thought, well, yes, I'll take this on. Uh, but again, it was the extension of the duty of care. Um, and I've always maintained that. That's something you know, inherent in me that um, I'm there to serve. 
mm. and I'm, I'm to pay back uh, the support that was given to me in my military career. Mm. So um, what that led me into well, with the Royal Australian Regiment was to identify the possibility of the regiment becoming a force in national advocacy to government. And as a result, um, I helped establish the Royal Australian Regiment Corporation in 2010 and be actively involved in that. Um, and I suppose that um, from there I soon saw the inadequacies of the veterans' representative to government. At that stage the RSL was the prominent now advocate but didn't seem to be listening to the other ESOs. So I got involved in the formation of a, an advocacy group called the Alliance of Defence Service Organisations and that was in 2009. And uh, since that, um, that's gone from strength to strength and now represents 17 major ESOs in its advocacy to government. And in, its, in effect, uh, it's replaced the RSL as the premier advocate. Now, you've got to be careful here because the RSL is the premier supplier of veteran support care. That's the delivery of services to them. Advocacy is helping to advocate for the welfare and the protection and well-being of the veterans community to the government, to the national government. So that's where my attention is uh, right at the very minute. Yep. Wow, that sounds, that's quite a repertoire of things going on. So I picked up on the, the dropout there, the so-called retiree. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, as soon as people say you're retired, uh, they come up with all sorts of activities that you could uh, help them with uh, right. and I think I'm a sucker for helping. And so what's what day-to-day -day at the moment, what's keeping you the busiest out of all those things? Well, uh, the biggest, of course, is the advocacy to government. Um, you know, we've just had an election mm. and with the Alliance of Defence Service Organisations, we put together a list of policies um, and those policies, um, we represented them to government. The disappointing thing was that uh, we sent those policies to both the then government and the opposition uh, about three weeks before the election, you know, asking for a response. You know, what were their what were their policies relative relative to ours? You now, we sent that out. Um, what the election was twenty second of May, so we sent that out at the um, at the end of um, April. And uh, right as at today's date, we have had no response. Mm. Now, the thing about that, that, what that tells us, is that the government and the opposition have reversed the role now since 22nd of May, mm. that um, they don't seem to want to pay attention to the veterans themselves asking for um, the government and the opposition, what's your policies for us? Now, ADSO has a role, and the, the role is to protect the well-being of, the, of what we call the ADF family. Mm -hmm. Now, the ADF family consists of current serving, past serving, and their families. So that's the ADF. And you will have noticed that the recent census came out with something like there are 581 or 83,000 um, people who uh, identified themselves as being vet a veteran in a, in, a, in a household. Right. Well, we believe that's an understatement. Um, so, uh, and it's more like, in my guess, it's more like 800,000. Um, and so we've got 800,000 veterans 
Okay, and that's that. That doesn't count their families. That's just the veterans themselves. So, so when we add the families in, and you can pick whatever multiplier you want mm. for the immediate family or the broader family, then we're talking about a million. In fact, we're talking about if the multiplier is ten, uh, we're talking about five million people um, are in some way associated with the veterans community. So what we say to government is, if that's our voice, five million people then why don't you listen to us? It's a lot of people. A lot of people. Relative to the population of Australia. Yeah, so the, the two things for us in, in our role was to protect the well-being. And as the Royal Commission has pointed out, that um, you're not only talking about the well-being of the veteran themselves, but you're talking about their families. And it's the families that, are, that have suffered yeah, that's right. as a result of um, their, their spouse's um, service and particularly the children. So... That's part of the, our role to protect the well-being, and the other, the other half of all of that was to protect their service entitlements. Okay, their service entitlements arise as a result of recognise their service as qualifying service, which then draws them into being um, receiving the benefits of the various uh, re- rehabilitation and compensation acts. Yep. And uh, that's an area that's under close scrutiny at the moment by the Royal Commission into um, defence and veteran suicide. So that's what's keeping me active um, at the moment. Mm. Uh, and in fact, you called me down from an engagement I was having with Canberra right, uh, okay. uh, oh. this afternoon. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. But th- that's okay. This is more important to, by, by to get means, a message. You let us know when you uh, need to chuff off. I just wanted to, yeah. But um, I, I, you kind of anticipated one of the questions I was going to have. It sounded like you would have been pretty involved in the, in some ways, in the Royal Commission into Veteran Suicide. Surely they would have looked at you as a, as an authority of, you know, um, someone who's been around for as long as you have and has been involved in the veteran community as long as you have. Was what was your involvement with that? None. None at all. Not yet. Um, what I was keen on doing, and I'm a close follower of the Royal Commission, and I've listen to the, uh, all of the hearings and read the transcripts to uh, be sure that I've got everything right. And as a result, I'm getting a good idea of what are the issues. Now, I believe I know what the issues are from my personal experience and the experience of my, my comrades. Mm. So what I'm waiting for is a little bit longer just to see uh, how it's playing through mm. and uh, how people... Um, are making their submission. They certainly encourage people to make their submissions. The interesting thing, when you make a submission, you can be classified as as a person um, who has had the experience of um, uh, ideation for suicide uh, or someone in the family has committed suicide. So um, that's one classification. I don't fit that classification, but I do fit the classification of being an observer and a witness to that sort of thing. The other interesting thing about the Royal Commission is that uh, it is it is very, very good. Uh, the spread or the scope of it is such that it's pulling into, uh, into identification uh, the health aspects and that's the health fraternity involved, particularly the psychologist and, uh, and other medical people. And it's bringing into account the whole structure of recruiting into the services through service itself and then through the transition mm. from service into civilian life. And the military have certainly identified that that is a critical nature in the well-being of people moving from a very close 
com- you know, close knit community where you know we live for each other uh, and caring for each other is such that you do what you can to help in that transition. Mm. So what's being discovered at the moment by in the examination of the witnesses, um, they're obviously identifying some failings and also identifying that a lot of the, the recommendations of previous um, investigations into suicide, and there's a, quite a number of them, that um, the government hasn't reacted to them. Uh, and so we're now, I think, I'm guessing this, but I think this would be about the 12th investigation into suicide since 2001. Right. So um, it's actually been going on for quite a while. Yeah. And, of course, um, the Royal Commission has identified um, various recommendations that were made by the Productivity Commission in um, 2019. Uh, one was particularly the harmonisation of the various repatriation and uh, yeah, repatriation and compensation uh, uh, legislations, yep. um, particularly in relation to superannuation um, and other things. Wow. So that's um, that's the is that's the real commission. But my intent is mm. just wait a little longer and make certain that what I'm going to say is based on a full coverage mm. and and almost like let's say making a response to some of the um, some of the comments that have been made. Mm. Mm. And for that reason, I think uh, any submission I make will be more complete with a greater understanding Good. of things behind the scenes as well as my own observations. Wow, it sounds like you definitely got the right strategy there because it's uh, yeah, you, it is a complex piece as you said, and it's uh, there's a lot of moving parts to it. I, I would imagine, yeah, as soon as someone wants to get involved, you want to have your yeah, dot oh, yeah. all your eyes and yeah. cross all your t's, yeah, mind yeah. your p's and q's, yeah, for sure. One of the things I think, uh, yeah, this is slightly off topic, but not really, is that the key to sort of making a veteran or making a soldier more resilient is really starts from day one. It starts in recruit training. It starts in the earliest stages of their careers. And if you think about it, you spent months being trained to go from being a civilian to being a soldier, sailor or airman. You spend two days being trained how to go the other way, you know, a two-day transition seminar. Uh, not that they're bad, but you've spent 5, 10, 15, 20 years or plus yeah. um, being in this one environment that you were trained for months or in the case of an officer, years to do and then suddenly you're out after two days or two days of transition training. It just doesn't make sense. It it has to be more in-depth than that. But it goes wider than that. Oh, Um, 100%. Yeah, and uh, I think Gary Stone alerted um, the Royal Commission to to, um, pre-recruitment. Yes. Because a lot of the problems... May, may start within the family itself. I 100% agree with that. And, uh, yeah, I certainly agree with Gary. Uh, I think that may have caused some some disquiet amongst the families to... Understandably, uh, yeah. Yeah, and so Gary identified that, and I would agree with it because I came from a similar background of, of disturbance in, in, the, in my family. Um, yeah, and I had a father who came back from, uh, from the Second World War... Um, Remember, I would have been nine years of age when he came back, and I hadn't hadn't known him um, since I was four years of age. So, when he came back, uh, he came back um, uh, an alcoholic. Um, he came back um, quite brutal, and um, domestic violence in my family caused my mother to leave him after 
I think it was after three years. Um, and um, I didn't know she was going, so I stayed with my father and suffered the, the damages that uh, occurred from violence and uh, alcoholism. So I too ran away, and I ran away when I was 11. Wow. Um, so the thing that I found is that um, uh, you, you stay and you be overwhelmed with the, the, the problems or you, you seek relief elsewhere, and mine was to not freeze, not fight, but to flee. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I left and um, settled with my mum in a, in a New South Wales country town, a small country town mm. that was full of community. And, um, and that's where uh, I learnt uh, resilience. Mm. I certainly learnt it from my, my um, earlier life in Sydney, but in the country uh, it was more community and you were one of a, you're one of a group. Mm. And uh, that was my learning experience. Um, so it's probably probably some of the earlier references that sort of inspired you to do what you're doing now. Like that was a well, such a great example of yeah. yes, yeah. yes, that that would be so. And what I found is that um, when I joined the army, um, here it was. He was home. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. You were part of again a community, and um, and so being part of it, that's where I developed this this care for my fellow man um, and tried to do the best I could to help. Mm. So that help uh, has extended right through my life. Amazing. Oh, well, um, that's quite a bit going on. Uh, you, you certainly kept the many balls in the air, uh, Ted, given, given that you're, a, a re- well, in inverted commas, retiree. Yeah. Um, I understand, look, I, I, and I appreciate you coming down and, and, and having a bit of a chat to us and it sounds like you've got a bit bit going on today, so I don't need to you know, keep you any longer. I guess just, just quickly before we consider wrapping up there, is there any other sort of parts of of the veteran space i think we've been talking about you want to sort of throw out there um either way is fine yeah i'd, I'd just like to comment on mm. on gary and mm-hmm. gary's organization that's that's a marvelous thing they're doing yeah and what you see in the veteran space at the moment um well the veterans environment you know you've got national up there and that's the government mm. that's responsible for you know protecting and the entitlements for veterans but when you come down into the veterans community itself you've got the, e- the ex-service organisations, so that's from RSL right across the units and, and sort of theatre-type associations. But more recently, what, what we're seeing is the growth of what we call veteran support organisations. Mm. Gary's is a veteran support organisation. Yep. So they've taken one particular area of support and, and for one particular reason. Okay, and they do that. There are others out there in the space doing similar things. Mm. And I maintain a directory on an Excel spreadsheet. I just keep tabs on who does what. Yeah. Now, the, the interesting thing about it is that what we're seeing is through the social media platforms, the people, the diggers and their families are speaking about veterans' issues on those platforms. And that's rising up to the surface. Mm. Now, the it's almost like a threat. The threat to the ESOs is that if you're not listening to your base, then are you really relevant? Mm. Because all of those ESOs do provide services to their members. But when it comes to talking to government, we're reliant on those ESOs doing it. But these VSOs are coming up and everybody's got the right 
to make an approach to the Minister for Veterans Affairs or other ministers. So they can do that. And I don't know if you've read a book called New Power. No. Very interesting. Uh, it's called New Power. It's been written by, by the you know, two people. Uh, one of them was the founder of GetUp. You know the GetUp organisation? <laughs> Very successful in its marketing marketing strategy and its support for you know other parties political parties yeah and the other one I, I had something to do i think with facebook and the development of facebook i think that um, but that book really identifies old power which is the autocratic style you know we do things from above and we pass them down yep and it goes down through the network and if you're at the bottom of the chain you're reacting to what people have told you to yep. do from up there. I think I have heard of this actually. Yeah. yeah. New power is people talking on Facebook, on Twitter, you name it, and they're raising the issues up. And those issues are being picked up by the media. You know, without without authentication. <laughs> and they're using that. So in effect, with that, those platforms and the national media itself, it's now starting to rise up to concern the government and to concern the departments. In fact, I've just seen something from a, a, a report of a meeting, the ESA Roundtable meeting, uh, where and that was held in Canberra last week, and that's for ESOs talking to the Department of Veterans Affairs. It's a consultative framework. Mm. And the concern from the government was that people are criticising the department uh, and the criticism might be questionable, um, but because of the preponderance of people on social media, it's being accepted as fact. Mm. And so DVA and other departments have really got to get in there and challenge the validity of the statements that have been made. Of course, yeah. And I don't think that the government's quite got the mix right <laughs> at this stage. Haven't got systems in place for it, yeah. 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 Wow, there's a lot to go away and think about there. That's um, some fascinating stuff. And what? Um, and so, how long have we got you, you got you for on the program? Are you staying for the next couple of days, or are you? No, we're on holidays. Oh, you're on holidays. Right. Yeah, okay. and yeah. Uh, it was just coincidental that um, you know we we arrived on Friday and yeah. you know saw Gary here, and Gary just said, "Well, you know, if you feel like it, come and come and sit in." You're staying at the hotel. Yeah. Oh, you're staying here. Yeah, okay, yeah, gotcha. Staying here makes sense. Yeah. So, um, so it was good to catch up with Gary and. Mm. Uh, and Colin, the others that are actively involved, yeah, in pushing it forward. I mean, these guys have just uh, poured their heart and souls into this, you know, and yeah. uh, it's a lot of it's unsung. You know, Cole does so much stuff behind the scenes oh that we yeah. don't even see. I want to actually interview Cole, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's fantastic. I've been involved with the program since 2017, uh, and it's just such a such a refreshing thing yeah. to be a part of. You know, it's challenging, especially over you know, the programs themselves. This has been a bit different because it's, um, you know, it's more of a retreat. Yeah. Um, sort of quasi working, but um, yeah, programs right. themselves are, are very intense. But it's a highly rewarding thing. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. and I, I think the other thing that's worthwhile mentioning, and that's the the RSL, mm. um, Queensland RSL is the best state RSL in in Australia. Yeah, and, and again, I monitor all these things, and um, their delivery of service. You know, they've got the network, they've got the funds because of their art union, um, which gives them the the ability to create these partnerships like they've done here with Gary. Gary's part of their partnership program. Yep, yep. Mates for Mates is another one. Yep. Trojan's Tricks another one. Um, um, 
and the Gallipoli Medical Research Foundation is another. But the whole thing about about um, the states don't advocate. Well, shouldn't say that. They do advocate to the state government. But our veterans community, the legislation is from above. Mm. So the advocacy has got to be at the national level. And RSL National is the voice of the states. Now, for the past couple of years, it's been missing. And it hasn't been out there. You know, people say missing in action, but I just say, well, they haven't even fronted up at the action, so they can't be missing in action. <laughs> They're out of action. Um, but that seems to be changing now because the Royal Commission has activated National into now trying to speak with a common voice. That's the ESOs mm. wanting to speak with a common voice. So uh, I think it's around about the 15th of November, the RSL National is, is uh, hosting a meeting of what, the ADSO and other ESOs to see how we can you know, get our act together and solidify our approach to government. Mm. And, that, um, and that is very good. The Queensland president, um, Stephen Day, uh, is now aware of that that need to have that national advocacy. So he was my brigadier in headquarters seven brigade. Was he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very, it's very good. Good guy. Yeah, good guy. Good officer. Yeah, good guy. Yeah. So they're the things that uh, are sitting out there in the veteran space at the moment, um, and we're just wanting to keep the government uh, to task. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you for everything you're doing because I know it's having far-reaching effects to people who won't even know. What, what work has been done behind the scenes to bring these wheels into motion. So thank you for everything you're doing. I think, I think we, might, uh, we might leave it there for now, but this doesn't have to be the last interview. We'll, uh, we, we do this every time. So um, thank you again and uh, look forward to the next chat. Been my pleasure. Thank you. Cheers, Seth. Thank you so much for listening, guys. And if you do have any comments or questions, feel free to reach out to us at support at veteranscare.com.au. And we do, of course, encourage you to share this podcast out to anyone who you feel may benefit from it. Thank you so much and we look forward to connecting with you on the next podcast. Bye for now.